It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Crunch Time Plays. You can find the show on social media at Plays Crunch. You can follow me on social media at Shotgun726. Make sure you subscribe to the Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Chrissy Freud is our guest today. She's quarterback guru for the Draft Network, and she also does a lot of writing for LSU as well with the USA Today outlet there. And Chrissy, I hope you're doing well, and thanks for coming on today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And so is this your is this your favorite time of year? I know it is for me with, with March Madness coming up, the spring practice, and, and the draft coming up next month. Is this the most best time of year for you? Yeah, I'll go ahead and touch on basketball really quick because it's funny because basketball is not a sport that I really enjoy. But whenever I, I'm like sent out to go cover it and I'm actually like in the heat of the game, I really like it. But obviously, I mean, with my job, I'm pretty much 100 percent focused on football. And this time of year to me is just so great because a lot of what I, I like to write on, and I like to cover is quarterbacks ahead of the draft. And so. It's stressful and there's a lot to do, but at the same time, I mean, especially with the platforms that I have now, I have three separate quarterback series for different networks that I run. So I pretty much have the ability to work with as many quarterbacks in the draft as I can possibly get to. And it looks like I'm going to have just about all of them outside of maybe between two and five of them. So it's been really awesome. I just being able to talk to a lot of different guys this year. I talked to seven last year, and I think that we're going to be uh, in total prospects somewhere between 25 and 30 that I've gotten to uh, by the time that the draft finally rolls around. So, yeah, I mean, it's during the season, it's kind of a grind because I'm focused on one or two teams for the most part. And I'll hit on like SEC quarterbacks and stuff like that throughout the season. But this is the this is the time that I really get to uh, just zero in on that position and have more time to watch film on the position. And really just get to talk to all the guys that are uh, coming out of so many different schools across the nation. Well, that's really awesome. And we'll get into a lot of those quarterbacks in the second half of the show. And we want to start off with LSU in the first half. I know there's been a lot of negativity surrounding that program from the outside a little bit with, with Coach O and then stuff that came out about Darius Geis and then the stuff that surfaced recently with Les Miles and it ends up costing him his job as at Kansas as well as the, the AD Jeff Long and out there. And so if you, if you were giving a state of the LSU athletics department right now, and it's not just football, but basketball with Will Wade is, is kind of been a, a dark cloud for a little while. So if you were given a state of the LSU athletics department address, what will be some of the positives and negatives and, and what are possibly some of the solutions to the problems? Um, well, I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't look good uh, whatsoever. And I think that, um, goodness, I don't know how to put this. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on at LSU, I think behind closed doors. That's just, it kind of gets brushed to the side. And I've kind of seen the, the warning signs of that, uh, just as a, as a student for a while. And so now all this stuff is finally starting to emerge and some of it's surprising to me. And some of it I look at and I go, well, you know, that guy was kind of that way. And this is 
it's, it's finally out now. Uh, it's a little worse than I thought, but it's, it's out now. Um, honestly, in my, in my opinion, this is, I think it's, it goes without saying that it's already really bad and that it seems like there's something new coming out every single day, but considering that it is as dire of a situation as it is, and it only continues to expand. If, if it were me in charge, I would be cleaning house. I mean, there, there's no, Oh, we made a mistake or, Oh, like this, uh, was mishandled, but we need to do better. And if we would have gone through X, Y, and Z differently, this would look a lot better on the outside. No, this is just a, the, it's complete uh, abandonment of the issue over the course of several years. And these people are actively choosing to not do something in my eyes, as opposed to, it's not even, to me, it's not mishandling. It's, they are taking it upon themselves to actively make a choice to not do anything. It almost takes effort to not do anything in my eyes. So I really think that you've just got to get rid of everybody and it's going to be a culture overhaul. And there's a lot of stuff that's going to go into that because this is not just one, one isolated case by itself is bad enough, but a mountain of them, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, just to say the least. I can't really even put it into words. And as someone who's gone to LSU, who's graduating from LSU uh, this semester, uh, it's it's really hard for me to be proud of uh, going to this school. And quite honestly, I think that after um, I graduate, I might I might not really want to seek that affiliation until they can kind of redeem themselves and uh, their image. One of the things that I hear a lot from fan bases, and it's not just LSU, it's from different fan bases around the country, is this idea of winning at all costs. I know a lot of people just just want to win. They don't care what it takes to get there. The fans, they're like, well, who cares if, if we sweep all this under the rug? As, as long as we're winning, that's the only thing that matters. How how fine is that line between the fan, or the people that think, oh, we just want to win at all costs, and then also the other side will, hold now, we want to win the right way. We don't want to win by cheating and doing all this other thing, doing all these other things. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, cost whenever you consider factors that involve cost. But to me, I mean, this situation is not a matter of cost. It's a matter of being completely immoral and unethical. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what those people brought the program, whoever was involved in that they must be done away with because I mean, you can't, you can't have that for a university's image and you can't have that just from human being to human being in general. I think that it's inexcusable. And um, I mean, (laughs) we we've seen who can bring winning ways to different teams and sometimes it lasts and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, whenever we look at the 2019 season and then this past season, there's some of the same people on the staff. I think that Joe Brady had a lot to do with, uh, LSU success in the, in 2019, probably more than anybody else did. But I mean, some of the same pieces are in place. So that just goes to show you that just because a team wins one year doesn't mean that it's going to win another year, but there's obviously going to be up and down years unless your uh, name is Alabama. I want to talk to you about Joe Brady for a second. He He's with the Panthers now, but he had a great impact on LSU in 2019 and a few of the guys that he kind of mentor with the Panthers that were under him have now uh, gone on to be coordinators at a couple of SEC schools with Jake Peets and DJ Mangus at LSU and, and Marcus Satterfield at South Carolina. What what do they bring to the table? What do you think they learned uh, from Joe Brady? And if they do have success, 
could this only help the Joe Brady coaching tree and his prospects to maybe land a college head job or an NFL head job? Yeah, I think that we're seeing that going with the spread in a really uh, full dominant way is something that's going to get you wins in college football. Uh, these days, the, that those concepts are something that I personally uh, study quite a bit. And I think that um, LSU, I mean, they did some good things on offense last year, but it was clear that there just needed to be some changes. And so I think that Ed Ogeron and company kind of sat down and went back and were like, you know, in the 2019 season, what made that offense tick outside of, you know, Joe Burrow. And I think that they've recruited well enough at quarterback that they could have someone who could at least begin to touch the level of who Joe Burrow was as a quarterback. But there's other factors outside of that, that obviously went into that success. And so I think the second biggest thing outside of Joe Burrow himself, who is just an absolutely rare player, I'm not sure we'll ever see one that's just that over the moon talented as he is, but you look at Joe Brady and his the concepts that he had as a passing game coordinator. And so why not get as close to that as you possibly can if you can't have Joe Brady back? And so I think that was kind of the mentality. And these guys have learned directly under him and they've been successful working with him. And so they have the ability to bring the exact same thing back to LSU. And plus, they're younger guys. And that was kind of one thing that I think Ogeron liked is because you'll notice in a pattern of some of these hires is it's these these younger guys that are big on the spread and I think that that's really going to bring back a lot of the concepts within the offense that we saw in 2019 uh, to help get this 2021 offense to where it needs to be talking about the the quarterback situation now for LSU if Miles Brennan goes down last year then T.J. Finley and Max Johnson, both true freshmen, step in. And Coach O had a, a press conference yesterday, and we're recording this on Wednesday, about uh, the quarterbacks going into spring. And, and Max Johnson took took first-team reps in the first spring practice. But who do, who do you expect to be the starter? Do you think T.J. Finley and those guys will, will overtake Max Johnson for the job, or do you think it's his to lose at this point? Um, I think that if – Finley was going to be the guy over Johnson that that probably would have stayed the case last year I think that Max Johnson I mean he didn't just come in it wasn't just like a oh we're going to switch off and see how that goes I mean he he took the reins and he went two and oh he's undefeated um and, and he did it in a big way with an upset win over Florida and then a really good home win over Ole Miss and so I think that right now that those two are pretty separated. Um, And then when it comes to Miles Brennan, I mean, we look at the word continuity when it comes to this. And I think Ed Ogeron was referencing continuity yesterday as in, well, this guy went two and oh, so we're going to kind of keep the trend going because he finished the season. So let's let him start up at the beginning. But when you really sit down and think about it, that when you think about that concept and then the word continuity, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think that this was an intentional decision because if you're going with continuity in any other program, when I think of that word, I'm going to go, oh, well, the starting quarterback, he's back to 100%. That's what Ed Ogeron says of Miles Brennan. He says he's not really, not really sure, but on the outside, based on his performance and practice, he is looking every bit 100%. And so when I think of that and continuing on to the next season, I'm thinking, oh, our starter's at 100% again. He's going to go back in and take the first team snaps, everything back to normal. 
that's continuity to me. This is we're, we're calling it continuity, but it's not really continuity. This is Ed Ogeron taking Max Johnson, who is much younger than Miles Brennan, and putting him in and giving him first team snaps. And he knew ahead of time, ahead of practice, he was going to be doing so. And I think that the only reason why you do that, and he, I mean, he made kind of a strong statement without trying to make a strong statement, I think, whenever he said uh, that there's only one quarterback on this campus that's 2-0. and Well, I think right there that you have it all. Um, and I, from what I've seen so far, I mean, unfortunately, we only did get three games out of Miles Brennan uh, last season. And this was a guy that was, it's, he's been a hard one to get high on for me. It seems like it's been a lot easier for everyone else. But last year, I saw him get stuck on one read. He looked just absolutely lost, was not going through his progressions correctly against Mississippi State. And then, yeah, he did show some improvement uh, over those next two games. They were also against lesser competition, including a game that they lost. And I don't believe that a, that quarterback wins are necessarily an important stat to look at because there's so many things that factor into wins and losses. But when I look at the leadership ability and the comeback aspect of the quarterback position, because the quarterback at the end of the day is supposed to be a leader. And yes, LSU did have some supporting cast issues last year. But Joe Burrow against Mizzou could have taken that team right where Miles Brennan stood and he could have won that game. And I understand those are hard shoes to fill, but... To me, Miles Brennan failed in the leadership aspect and the comeback aspect just in that moment, in a moment that he should have, in my eyes at least, a lot of people think differently, should have been able to rise to the occasion and should have been able to finish it out and to get LSU a win. And I do understand at the same time he was suffering from that injury, so that could have factored into it. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, but he, to me, he's never done anything to really prove that he's the guy and he's always just been very lackluster to me and he seems to get rattled very, very easily. And that's something that bothers me a lot about him. And then Max Johnson, I think that he has a little bit of ways to go as a passer. I think that's something that he'll absolutely get better at. I think he comes from a great background and I don't, I don't look to mobility as the first thing whenever I look at a quarterback, but he certainly brings a different aspect to the game with that. I think that's going to fit well within the scheme. Um, if you didn't notice, I mean, Joe Burrow could use his legs very well, almost to a, a point that it was dangerous whenever he played for LSU. So I think we'll see kind of some of the same, uh, see him run around kind of the same way that Joe Burrow did. And then as for the the last guy in the quarterback room that we didn't mention, uh, that's Garrett Nussmeyer. I talked to him, I, it honestly was around this time last year. Uh, it might even be a year to the day. No. A, about a week week and a half I don't know um but he he told me he said I feel like I bring a very Joe Burrow like mentality uh to this team and I thought that was interesting very well-spoken kid by the way I've worked with a lot of recruits and a lot of them are kind of starting to get their feet under them uh, just speaking wise but this guy's very very well-spoken I noticed um he Obviously, as Ed Ogeron was saying, lots of mobility, ability to scramble. I uh, did some really good things uh, when he was in Flower Mound. And so he honestly, long term, might be the best prospect. And I'm very curious to see uh, the best prospect in that quarterback room. And I'm very curious to see um, just how quickly he takes that uh, position over time. 
regardless of when it happens next season, whatever it is, years down the road, uh, we can't be sure just yet because it's just so early. And I'm also curious to see how he directly compares to Max Johnson in the long term as well. Max Johnson kind of reminds me of, of Joe Burrow a little bit, just just from mm-hmm. the mo- just from the mobility and it, it fit very well in the in the scheme that that Mangus and Pete's want to bring that they learned from Joe Brady. And you wrote a, a really great article a few day, a couple weeks ago about a game by game prediction uh, for LSU mm-hmm. this year that I would encourage everybody to go read because it was really great. And um, you have LSU going eight and four this year. Mm-hmm. What what's the is that the ceiling for this team, or, or can they get to nine, maybe ten wins? No, I think nine and ten wins is possible. There are a couple of kind of uh, wild cards, just kind of selections that I made within there. Although, I mean, I made I made some unpopular selections last year, including the first game of the season, and um, I was I, <laughs> one of the only ones to have predicted that Mississippi State would beat LSU the way that that they did, and I think that uh, the Bulldogs will be the Tigers again this year as well but um yeah I mean some of these SEC matchups especially when you look at games like Auburn and Florida those two in particular uh come to mind because they're usually close they're usually very hard fought and they tend to go back and forth with who with who wins them almost every single year um or at least on a very frequent basis so it's those two games uh the record's going to be affected a lot by that I think the Ole Miss has the ability to be a lot better than people have given them credit for this year. And I think that Mississippi State, when we looked at that team toward the end of last year, they were finally starting to get their feet under them. The offense was, and they were drawing a lot nearer to wins toward the end of the season. And I think a lot of people noticed. And I think that was also one of the youngest teams in the SEC last year. And so now that they've had time to learn the scheme more, guys have matured a little bit more. I think we see a little bit uh, higher success rate this time around. Talking to Chrissy Foy, quarterback guru for the Draft Network. And we want to move to those quarterbacks now for this for next month's draft. And, and you were one of the first people to, to come out uh, with a ranking that had Zach Wilson ranked ahead of Trevor Lawrence. And a lot of people were like, whoa, what? Right. But um, and I've noticed a couple other people since you've come out with those have come out and said that as well. But you were obviously the first one, at least to my knowledge, what makes Zach Wilson uh, ahead of Trevor Lawrence? He seems like a very gutsy type performer, willing to to play anybody anywhere. I think about that game that they scheduled with Coastal Carolina this year, and even though they lost, he gave a very gutsy performance. And is that what you see in him? And what what other qualities does he have that you rank him ahead of Trevor? Yeah, well, the thing is, one thing that I want to say about this before I get into, and I think a lot of people know since I kind of release the rankings with the explanation and everything is that whenever I first posted them, it people were acting as if to put Zach Wilson ahead of Trevor Lawrence meant that I was putting Zach Wilson at the top and then having some sort of severe drop off between number one and number two, which was absolutely not the case. I have no idea where that came from. Um, but to me, whenever I look at Trevor Lawrence, one of my biggest kind of quarrels with that, that whole issue surrounding that is there are so many analysts that have come out and said, Trevor Lawrence is a generational player. Does he have the tools to to be so? Well, yeah, he does. I think that he has a hidden mobility aspect that, well, I call it hidden because I didn't really truly discover it and appreciate it until that national championship game 
that he played against LSU. And the guy looks like he was physically built in a quarterback lab. So physically speaking, um, like physical abilities, uh, NFL frame, all that stuff, he brings it all to the table in a way that you seriously could not perfect much more. But the thing is, another thing that I noticed in the national championship game, as well as some other big games that Trevor Lawrence has played, is that he's getting in that particular national championship game, we consider Joe Burrow to also be a generational player. Okay, so Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow are generational players. Why is Joe Burrow outplaying the hell out of Trevor Lawrence in the national championship? It's things like that that kind of bother me. It's like there's certain occasions to rise to, and I feel like he just falters a bit. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it. And the one other than that, I mean, there's really not much to knock his game in general for. I've noticed that he'll lock onto one read sometimes. I really don't like that that much. So it's, it's a generational player argument and him being outperformed. And then that, those are the only two things that I knock him for. But when it comes to Zach Wilson, I see a guy who, yes, we can argue that he did play technically against lesser competition. But the thing that bothers me about that whole, that whole uh, conundrum, whenever you look at that, people saying, oh, well, they played against lesser competition. Well, look at the supporting cast at BYU. Not to like diss them or anything, but they're nothing like Clemson. They're nothing like anything in the ACC or the SEC. Not even close. But here we have Zach Wilson with this lesser supporting cast, and he's making all these throws down the sideline into these really tight windows and these guys don't have seven steps in their defender either. These are not easy throws that he's making. And he's doing them on a consistent basis with perfect ball placement just about every single time. I like his pocket presence. I think that he has some of the best footwork in the pocket, if not the best um, in this entire draft. I think his mental processing, uh, the way that he can go through things really quickly, he can evade pressure and make things happen on his own. He can go off script really well. There's just there's hardly anything that I would change about him. And so I, the way that I put it, obviously the full explanations are in the rankings, but the way that I put it, whenever people ask me kind of just for a one-liner, a conclusive one-liner on this, both of these guys check just about all the boxes off for me, but maybe Zach Wilson checks off half a box more for me. And he's a little bit more successful in the long term than Lawrence is. Who's the most underrated quarterback in this class? Who's the the guy that we might look up five years from now and and he's got and he's in a starting role doing really well? Um, I think as far as underrated, just people not noticing and his draft stock going up in my eyes, uh, that's got to be Ian Book for me. Um, KJ Costello is another one that I think just kind of got screwed whenever it comes to. Uh, just the circumstances surrounding the season and how the rankings changed. And there's a lot of factors that, that went into that one. It would take me an hour to explain the whole thing. But um, as going back to Ian Book, I mean, he was kind of in the early on Heisman conversation. I don't think he was ever really like a serious candidate. Uh, but there were, I mean, he had some inconsistency at Notre Dame. Um, he's a lot smaller than most other quarterbacks. He's He's undersized. But one thing that I noticed is that his size doesn't seem to affect the way that he goes out there on the field and does his job. And there's some quarterbacks that I feel like it gets in the way. And there's some quarterbacks that I feel like they're smaller, but you would never even know it if you didn't look at uh, the measurements and take time to really look into all that. But um, I would say the last day of the senior bowl, 
was whenever I really started to take note of Ian Book because when it comes to a guy that can move around in the pocket a lot and do a lot of running around, there's two types of quarterbacks. There are the ones that will run all behind the line of scrimmage and do a bunch of crazy stuff and they get like two yards and it was fun to watch. You enjoyed the show. But at the end of the day, he's just moving. He's not actually really gaining anything or doing much of anything for the offense whenever he does move. So there's those guys. And there are the guys that can actually evade the pressure and then use their mobility to make plays with their legs. And that was one question that I had uh, when I was going to watch Ian Book at the Senior Bowl was, which one is he? And which one is he going to look like uh, through these days of practice? And on the third day of practice, I saw uh, Ian Book find running lanes and uh, get a lot of yardage on at least, I want to say at least three plays. And it was really impressive to watch. And so I think that he's a guy that should really be taken seriously as a playmaker in his own right. And the other thing I noticed is that he was beautifully accurate throughout the entire day that day. So Ian Book on that day looked like arguably the most complete quarterback at the Senior Bowl. And I saw, I felt like I got to witness what his ceiling was because, or at least the beginnings of what his ceiling could be. We'll put it that way since he hasn't even played an NFL game, obviously. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's a guy that I hadn't really paid that much attention to in the beginning. And he proved to me that day that he could put it all together. And then I, had the opportunity to talk to him and see who he is as a person and just where he is mentally as a player and the way he thinks about things. And I've got a lot of respect for him. And I, the, the way that I put it is the floor, the reasonable comparison now is maybe a Trace McSorley. But best case scenario, he goes into a scheme like the one that Seattle has run that utilizes his mobility and he can also be a good passer within and Granted that everything just goes off to the moon and it's as great as it possibly can be, then the sky high ceiling is Russell Wilson. And I'm very curious to see what he does moving forward. You hear a lot about guys, and I got a, a two-parter for you before I let you go and we're winding down. You, you hear a lot of guys, oh, he's a generational type player. It seems like we hear it every year. And and what, what makes a guy like that that you think – see? People see those qualities in a guy like that. And and last, is it is this the most anticipated draft that we've had in recent memory? I know a lot of people are curious to see what the Jets are going to do with Sam Darnold. The Deshaun Watson saga still going on. What what do you think? Is this the most anticipated draft? Well, to answer the first part of your question, uh, generational player. I mean, to me, if I had to name. Two, just two specific traits. First of all, is mental processing and an elite level of mental processing. Joe Burrow, I've never seen a guy that has the mental toolbox that he does. And I've told someone else that in the past. Um, it's, it's really rare to find. It's really hard to find. And I don't necessarily think that we should be loosely throwing around the term generational player. But I think if you want an example of a player who really has it all together there mentally in a way that is practically unparalleled. Um, It's got to be Joe Burrow. And the other thing to me is accuracy, just very, very basic. But at the end of the day, you can have a guy with all this arm strength. You can have a guy who can move around, but if he can't consistently be accurate, he's not getting a receiver the ball and his job is to pass, not to run. So it's, it's gotta be those two things and done at a very elite level. And then 
The other thing that I think of is just the it factor. It's a hard thing to describe, but you know it when you see it. And I think that a quarterback has to have those two things I mentioned and then the it factor before we even think about calling them a generational player. And they have to have all those things put together on a consistent day-in, day-out basis over the course of years. And what was your second question? It was, is this the most anticipated draft with with the Jets not knowing what to do with Sam Darnold and the the Deshaun Watson saga? It seems like a lot of these quarterback decisions to to draft are going to come down to draft night. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is a very quarterback needy league with a lot of guys uh, moving around. And I also, at the same token, think that this is one of the deepest quarterback classes that we've seen in a long time. And it seems like hardly anybody's really talking about it. I mean, outside of me, but um, I think that there's really, whenever I look at the one through 15 rankings that I did, all the guys that are in there, um, barring maybe a couple, I look at them and I go, you know, like he might be here, but I think that he might really be able to do this. If any of those guys that I have, on that list, like I said, borrowing a few, went on to have super great careers, I wouldn't be surprised. I've watched all of them. I've seen all of them. And I mean, there's, like I said, like about the Ian Book thing, it's hard to tell because you have, when you have someone whose floor is Trace McSorley and then the ceiling, like sky high ceiling, as I said, is Russell Wilson, you never really know who is going to tap that potential. And uh, the example that I think is kind of cliche because everyone uses it, But Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. And I guarantee you all the draft analysts around that time did not. There were were probably very few people that said Tom Brady is going to go on to literally be Tom Brady. But so it's it's interesting to watch how these things shake out over time. But there's a lot of special qualities that I see in a lot of these guys, um, more than most draft classes as far as individual players go. If you want a more expanded conversation on – What we talked about today, you can check out all of Chrissy's work on quarterbacks at thedraftnetwork.com. Chrissy, it's been a pleasure to have you today. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and and what work you got coming up. Yeah, it's Chrissy underscore Freud on Twitter. That's pretty much the only one that I use for work as far as social media goes. And lots of quarterback stories coming up. Uh, Most most of those are going to be published on the Draft Network. I believe Sam Ellinger is going to be my next one. Yeah, I think that's the next one coming up. Um, And then I obviously, as we've gone over, I cover the Titans and LSU for USA Today Sports Media Group and then a bunch of little different things at Pro Football Network. Chrissy's definitely multifaceted. She does a lot of different (laughs) things. She does a lot of different things, and she does an incredible job with all of it. And Chrissy, we'll look forward to to catching up with you later on down the road, and we'll look forward to – to your work here coming up in the next month and stay safe and well, and we'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. That was Chrissy Freud from the draft network. She also does a really incredible job writing for LSU and the Titans for USA today. And go check out her work at the draft and for a full expansion of what we've talked about today, as far as her quarterback ranking, she does the, Really incredible job of ranking those. And she has full breakdowns on all of the quarterbacks in this 2021 NFL draft class. So go check that out. Thought it was really important to to ask her about the LSU situation. Not only does she cover LSU for USA Today, she's also a, a graduating student this semester at LSU. So I thought it was really important to give you guys an inside look at 
at how people are feeling about that situation. It's really an, just an awful situation down there. And, and she's so right on that second question. There's absolutely no cost that you can put on that. Thoughts and, thoughts and prayers to everybody that, that has been affected by those tragedies down there. And I know they're, they're really just allegations right now, but of you know, got a sneaking suspicion that a lot of them are true. And so I just want to send out my personal thoughts and prayers to everybody that has fallen victim to the things that have happened at LSU. It's, it's inexcusable. It's unacceptable. And, and I certainly agree with Chrissy that, that a clean house is probably what you need down there in Baton Rouge, down there on the bayou. And so we'll see what happens, but Really appreciate Chrissy for taking the time. And I know those are really tough questions to answer. Thanks so much for checking out Crunch Time Plays today. We've got some more awesome guests on the way. So many things great happening. We got our new Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel coming out. The episodes for that YouTube channel are going to start with episode eight of Paige Kuhn. And we've got so many guests lined up and just want to give you a rundown of the videos that are going to be posted to YouTube as soon as we get the intro and outro. We've got a great intro and outro for you guys. So we're just looking forward to unveiling that on social media. Probably sometime next week, I'll put a post out. So you make sure that you're following the podcast on social media at Plays Crunch and follow me on social media at Shotgun726. But the episodes that are coming to YouTube are Paige Kuhn, Joe Lenardi, Jamie Chadwell, Chris Budden, David Waters, Kelsey Riggs, Lauren Sissler, Hannah Newhouse, Tara Talmadge, Pat Smith, Danny Wexelman. And all the episodes here going forward are going to be on YouTube. There's a couple of audio only ones, which is the first seven episodes of this podcast as well as the episode with Golf Channel's Ryan Lavner, and then this episode with Chrissy is going to be audio only as well, since we weren't able to connect via video. But just so looking forward to the future of this show. Keep spreading the word. Y'all are doing a fantastic job of that. Our numbers are looking great. They're growing by the day. Make sure you're subscribed to the Crunch Time Plays YouTube channel. And make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. I'm just so happy to have you on board. And we'll talk to you again next time right here on Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.